Through the hallways of academia And on the face of the moon The footprints of conquest Haven't left us any room To say Greetings and welcome to the 10th edition of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, February 2nd, 2017. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse and ideas we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. My name is Jenna DeQuarto, and today's show is dedicated to conflict, self-love, and sisterhood in what we hope is a feminist alternative to the commercialized Valentine's Day messages of patriarchal heterosexual love. Our collective is less than a year old, and we have already experienced conflict, misunderstanding, and strife in our micro-femisphere we are operating in. How can feminists acknowledge and deal with legitimate conflicts and disagreements and rise above the petty ones? How can organizations such as Wolf, WLRN, Feminist Current, and the British Radfem Collective survive and even thrive and heal deep patriarchal wounds when attempting to resolve our interpersonal conflicts? How can the individual woman develop a sense of selfhood and be loving and kind towards herself when bombarded with body-hating images and the like? These questions and more will be addressed in the 10th edition of Women's Liberation Radio News. Stay tuned for excerpts of interviews with Ruth Greenberg of the British Radfem Collective and Kathy Brennan, feminist lawyer and internet sensation from Baltimore. In addition, we will hear featured commentary from WLRN's Thistle Pedersen. Your light fade 
now for WLRN's headlines for February 2nd, 2017. The Women's March on January 21st, 2016 was the largest day of demonstrations in United States history. In addition to the main march on Washington, D.C., women organized almost 600 sister marches in all 50 states and in cities around the world, including Mexico City, Sydney, and Nairobi. Women marched to oppose the incoming Trump administration, as well as the wider problems women are facing, including male supremacy, white supremacy, capitalism, lack of health care, immigrant incarceration and deportation, and the destruction of the planet for profit. According to researchers at the University of Denver and the University of Connecticut, crowd sizes reached about 3.3 million total women and men around the country. Stay tuned for in-depth coverage and analysis of the marches in our March edition. The 45th President of the United States of America, Donald J. Trump, has taken office. On January 23rd, one day after the 44th anniversary of Roe v. Wade, Trump brought back a ban on U.S. funds going to any overseas organizations that advocate for abortion access and or provide women with counseling about abortions or referrals for abortions. Senator Jean Shaheen, a Democrat from New Hampshire, released a statement which read in part, President Trump's reinstatement of the global gag rule ignores decades of research, instead favoring ideological politics over women and families. President Trump also signed a memorandum announcing his intention to withdraw the U.S. from negotiations regarding President Obama's Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP. The TPP would have made it possible for corporations to sue countries for enacting policies that hurt their profits. The TPP was opposed by socialist feminist group Radical Women and liberal feminist groups like National Organization for Women. And their issue advisory on the TPP, entitled Free Trade and Feminism, now argued that the Trans-Pacific Partnership will put moderate and low-income women at risk further cheating them out of the better wages, benefits, and the job security that they deserve. A free trade agreement that exploits already vulnerable workers will harm women, their children, and their children's children, and only serve to benefit the affluent and the powerful. 
On Friday, January 27th, President Trump signed an executive order temporarily banning citizens from Iran, Iraq, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, and Yemen from entering the United States. These seven countries are Muslim-majority nations, and the order is being called a Muslim ban by Trump's opponents, despite his denial of this characterization. Immediately following the order's issuing, protests broke out all over the United States, predominantly held at airports in New York City, San Francisco, Chicago, Denver, Dallas, Detroit, Virginia, and several others. Approximately a 1,000 State Department diplomats and officials have signed a dissent memo condemning the order. Former Acting Attorney General Sally Yates was promptly fired by Trump following her refusal to enforce the ban, denying its legality. Families are now split, with legal citizens and residents stuck overseas after traveling to some of the seven countries on Trump's list, where they're originally from. Immigrants already in the country on flights from the banned countries were detained on arrival and questioned despite their legal status. A 12-year-old girl, Caitlin Nicole Davis, committed suicide in her backyard in Georgia on December 30th, broadcasting it on Facebook Live. The 20-minute video included an admission that she had been sexually and physically abused by a male relative. Three days prior to her death, according to local news, police began an investigation into the abuse Caitlin had suffered. There is also evidence that she was being abused by other local men. Many girls each year are sexually abused by males in person and online. Brisha Meadows, a 15-year-old African-American girl who allegedly killed her abusive father in July 2016, has been transferred to an adolescent treatment facility for mental health evaluation after spending 175 days in a juvenile jail. Unfortunately, her family must pay for her stay at the treatment facility, which will be challenging for them financially. For updates on Brescia's case, visit freebrescia.wordpress.com or follow the Free Brescia Facebook page. Students at the University of Southern California have unanimously voted to change the name of the Women's Student Assembly to the Student Assembly for Gender Empowerment, or SAGE. Pro-trans students argued that women's groups are unfairly exclusionary to men who say they identify as women. Maddie Hangst, the assistant director of the group, said, Our mission statement recognizes that we do not just cater to female-identified students, but also cater to students of all gender identities. We also don't want to alienate any of our constituency by focusing exclusively on women. The Russian parliament voted 380-3 to to pass a bill decriminalizing many forms of domestic violence on January 27, 2016. According to The Independent, the new consequences for these acts will be a fine of less than $500, 15 days of administrative arrest or community service. Only broken bones or concussions or repeated offenses would lead to criminal charges. Currently, domestic battery is punishable by two years imprisonment, though this is rarely enforced. The bill now goes to the upper chamber and then to Putin. No opposition is expected. One of the strongest supporters of this policy has been Yelena Muzilina, a female senator who has publicly stated, A man beating his wife is less offensive than when a woman humiliates a man. Of the impact of this bill on children, Musolina said, In Russian traditional family culture, parent-child relationships are built on the authority of the parent's power. The laws should support that family tradition.
Musolino was also a vocal supporter of the anti-gay and lesbian law in Russia, which outlawed any statements that gay and lesbian relationships are equal to heterosexual ones as propaganda. Elena Popova, a feminist activist, organized the opposition to the bill, including a petition that gained over 180,000 signatures. Popova spoke to The Guardian in January to explain the consequences of the decriminalization bill. Imagine it. A woman is beaten up by her husband. She makes a complaint, and the husband is given a fine, which he pays out of the family budget. He then comes home and shouts at her for complaining, and you can be 100% sure that next time she'll just try to hide the bruises and won't complain. We went to protest, and there were people standing there with placards demanding the right to beat their own children. I couldn't get my head around it. She also told NBC News, Society is judgmental. It goes like this. You're a bad woman if you allow this to happen to you. Or you're airing dirty laundry and you're to blame. Or it's he beats you, it means he loves you. And a lot of people don't want to talk about it. On January 27th, Marissa Alexander was finally released from state confinement after three years in prison and two years in house detention. On August 1st, 2010, nine days after giving birth, Marissa fired a warning shot with her own gun in front of her estranged husband and his two children. Her husband, Rico Gray, had threatened to kill her, and given his history of abusing Marissa, she took his threat seriously. Marissa was convicted of aggravated assault with a lethal weapon two years later, and given the mandatory minimum sentence of 20 years in prison. That concludes WLRN's headlines for February 2nd, 2017. So speak out. Sisterhood is powerful. Sisterhood is powerful. This is a common chant and slogan used by feminists to attract more and more women to our movement and to convey the healing powers of our self-care, love, and solidarity when we come together in our men-free groups and actions. It is indeed a powerful antidote to the misogynistic waves of culture washing over us in our everyday lives as women living under patriarchy. It is so powerful that it is discouraged by the patriarchal powers that be, to the point of women-only sisterhood spaces such as the Michigan Women's Music Festival being shut down and vilified. And it is so powerful that the inner workings of misogyny in our collective psyche also collude to shut it down. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about conflict, self-love, and sisterhood in the context of my experiences as an activist and organizer with the goals of stopping environmental destruction and liberating women from male tyranny. First, a few words about conflict. In all the years I've been organizing, about 25 years now, conflicts have always come up between activists in all of the teams I have been a part of to organize marches, press conferences, benefit fundraiser bashes, and now within feminist groups I am organizing with. 
Conflict is a normal part of developing our relationships and is not the source of the problems that divide us. The way we deal with conflicts is where the problem lies. For example, let's say I am working in a grassroots feminist group organizing a female folk singer concert with my sisters to A, have a good time listening to music and B, get feminist scenes and literature distributed. I volunteer to make the poster and diligently search my email for the final wording that we decided upon a few weeks ago and use that to print the posters without passing the final version of the poster by everyone else in the group first. My sister brings up to the whole group that I should have passed the final version by them before printing because she has a change she'd like to make. Instead of talking about her disappointment with me privately, she brings up her grievance with what I think is an angry tone in front of everyone. This just adds to the sting of her rightful criticism. How am I going to respond to this conflict? Will I tell her privately I wish she hadn't shamed me in front of the whole group? Will I apologize? Will I point out that the wording for the poster was agreed upon by the whole group before the final version was made, so why didn't she say something five emails ago? How am I going to handle this so the least damage is done to the group morale? For me, group morale is the question and not my hurt feelings and lack of self-acceptance that might make me lash out at her. Looking out for the group morale is always important when working on co-creating sisterhood. I decide to not approach her privately, but to apologize to her and the whole group for not running the final version of the poster by everyone before printing them out and offer to pay out of my own pocket for printing newer versions with her change on them. She writes back to the group that it's okay. Her change is not that big of a deal and that the already printed posters are good to go. Phew! Division and strife nipped at the bud by putting my ego aside and not rubbing it in her face by saying something like, the final wording was actually decided upon in an email a while ago, so you're just going to have to live with the poster how it is. If I was not interested in resolving conflict, I could say something like that and even look up the email and send it to the whole group to shame her back rather than letting it go and moving forward. What's really important here is that women work together to co-create women's culture and the women's movement. We gotta let the little things slide, sisters, and swallow our pride, but not to the point of being too accommodating either. There are times when a fellow activist may actually be trying to take you down, especially if you are a leader and an easy target. Getting along with others is a hard thing to do. Just remember that when you are feeling alone and depressed about not getting what you want or what you feel you need and deserve from your sisters. We are operating in a minefield of behaviors and attitudes we have learned by living under patriarchy. Give yourself and other women a break. Give yourself and other women the benefit of the doubt. Women who sign up to the feminist movement are good people. That's why they are signing on. Remember that. Believe that. And especially believe it when a woman really annoys you and you think she is doing something wrong or that you disagree with her. Take a deep breath. Step back and remember, she is your sister. Women are damaged by the conditions we live under that codify male violence towards us. When an animal is distressed, it often lashes out. This goes for women, too, who, as a whole, are more distressed than men as a whole because we are daily threatened by male violence, or at least we know sisters who are, and that can set us off and cause us to lash out at each other over small things because we feel so powerless and hurt by the larger picture. We just gotta remember that working together in groups is going to be much more effective than working alone as individuals. Because patriarchy targets all women, it is with all women that we must be willing to organize. This does not mean that you need to be best buddies with women in your organizing circles. There may be women you don't like or with whom you disagree, 
but building alliances with those women and having their back when and if they are a target of male violence is true solidarity. In the words of Andrea Dworkin, feminism is a political practice of fighting male supremacy on behalf of women as a class, including all the women you don't like, including all the women you don't want to be around, including all the women who used to be your best friends whom you don't want anything to do with anymore, unquote. A word about cliques and how to not let them bother you. I remember in high school feeling sorry for myself because the popular girls were mean to me and didn't invite me to their parties. When I did get invited to one, I remember not liking how they talked about hair and makeup so much and not feeling truly able to be authentically myself. Their quote-unquote sisterhood seemed fake and based on female stereotypes rather than on gynergy and witch energy that was welling up in me as a young woman. Not that rad femme groups are dominated by women who talk about hair and makeup, but even in rad femme groups, I noticed this original female socialization that pits woman against woman in superficial competition. Once I remember that it is our patriarchal socialization that is the root cause of competition and cliques among women, I feel better. And the deeper women in radical feminist circles are there, often front and center. Don't let cliques bring you down. And remember, every woman has the right to her privacy and boundaries. If you aren't invited to the party, don't take it personally. Just find the right group of close friends for you that suits your personality and interests and don't compare yourself too much to other women you admire. We are all different and it is okay to have strictly activist relationships with the majority of your sisters, keeping your more intimate relationships special and close. And your close friends can be part of organizing groups you are in too, if that suits you and them. We just need to remember that not all of our comrades in the movement are going to be close friends of ours and that is perfectly fine. That part about not comparing yourself to other women holds true for issues of resentment among women as well. It is natural but not helpful strategically to write more privileged women off because ultimately all of us are victims of male oppression no matter what our economic status is, race, or sexual orientation. I don't agree that we shouldn't analyze the varying ways women get more status within the category of woman, but we shouldn't let those different statuses stop us from organizing as women. Thank you for tuning in. This is Thistle Patterson commenting for WLRN's Conflict, Self-Love, and Sisterhood edition of our monthly podcasts. Here's an idea. Do something awesome for yourself on Valentine's Day. Go out with a group of women to celebrate self-love and sisterhood. Or stay at home with a warm cup of tea and your cat. Whatever you do, remember that you are important and can play an important role in the movement in small and big ways. And now we turn to an excerpt of an interview I did with Kathy Brennan. Kathy Brennan is an attorney living in Baltimore. She is a staunch supporter of girls and women and a proud lesbian. Shortly after Trump won the U.S. presidential elections, she and others started a group called Bunch of Dykes. In this excerpt of an interview Thistle Patterson did with Kathy, she talks about that group, why it was formed, who it is for, and why it is important. Could you talk about that group and how it formed, Kathy? Yeah, sure, Thistle, and thanks for talking with me. It's good to hear you. Bunch of Dykes was formed in the wake of the election of Trump to the presidency. The name derives from the slur used by Steve Bannon, who basically runs Trump 
where he referred to women attending uh, women-only colleges as a bunch of dykes. I've been talking to various women about issues impacting lesbians for years at this point, and I just thought a bunch of dykes was a good name for a group, and I want a bunch of dykes in my life. And so we have a fantastic group of women. We've been going strong, very active since we started, and I'm just really grateful to have this space. How many women are in a bunch of dykes currently? There's more than 350, and we want to grow slow and on the down low. We're interested in cultivating authentic relationships with women who love women, and this takes time, patience, and trust to build. So we're continuing our outreach on various platforms and in person. What would you say is the purpose of the group? Is it more of a political purpose or more of a personal purpose of getting women who love women to meet each other or both? That's a great question. I have done organizing in the GLBT community since I was in college. I'm 46 now, so 20, 25 years I've done organizing. And since the advent of the social media era, the quality of interactions among women has deteriorated, in my opinion. And I blame social media for this. Social media lends itself to quick, sharp sound bites. It doesn't lend itself to building community, and it certainly doesn't lend itself to developing trust among women. So the thought behind Bunch of Dykes is to take this reality of social media and having a social media platform and establishing organizing rules that are based on in real life organizing principles. So we worked very hard on developing ground rules to give women the freedom to express opinions without being attacked. Women have been terrorized in the GLBT community in particular from expressing opinions that deviate from a male-centric point of view, and it was extremely important to us to create a space where women could disagree respectfully um, and with love for one another. And we work very hard to foster that. And the, the reason for that is twofold. One, to give women a sense of community. So I suppose that could be both personal and political. But two, when you develop personal relationships with women, when you give women the benefit of the doubt, when you trust women, when you recognize that your sister is human and she will mess up sometimes and that's okay because you will also mess up sometimes and that's okay. <laughs> and we hold each other through these failings and we help each other learn. Like having the space for that, you develop a sense of, of, of comradeship. Like we're comrades in the struggle for lesbian survival together. And that is extremely helpful in trying to build a political movement. So it's both personal and political, and of course, often the personal is political. <laughs> How much yeah. would you say that this group harkens back to the 70s, the heyday of the second wave feminist movement? So the group is not a radical feminist group, and it was important from my perspective that it was not a radical feminist group. The group is for lesbians, defined as women who love women, women obviously means not males or transgender women because they are male. So I don't know how much it harkens back to the 70s. I was a child in the 70s. 
And it's less important for me, from my perspective, as, you know, a founder of the group, what women's political identification is. I'm more interested in how she views herself in relation to other women. And quite honestly, any ideology can become a cage. And if you demand strict adherence from women, I think you're bound to fail from an organizing perspective. Obviously, over the last 15 years, lesbians in the GLBT community have been required to adopt transgenderism as their personal worldview, and that hasn't gone well for lesbians. And I certainly don't want to dictate to women what they should think or how they should believe or how they should view their lives. The only requirement for membership in this group is that you are a lesbian and that you are willing to abide by the rules of the group, which mostly go towards how you treat one another. There are women in the group that have views on butch and femme or views on porn that I don't share, and it's okay. Like, we can talk to each other and we can reason things out with one another. And in that process, if women become politicized into radical feminism, that's fine, but that's on them. It's not my responsibility to go around making sure women are radical feminists. It's not my job. Could you talk about what the Bunch of Dykes block did at the Women's March in D.C.? Yes. So so that was our first in-real-life, in-person meeting, and it was wildly successful, and I credit that to the organizing work of several women in the group. I just showed up. I was not one of those women. And we gathered, there was probably 40 women marching behind several banners, one of which was a bunch of dykes. And we we marched in the streets of D.C. holding our banner and chanting pro-lesbian chants and handing out flyers talking about lesbian reality and how to fight lesbian erasure. And uh, it was tremendous. It was just uh, like an energizing day. It was one of the best days of my life, short of, Mm -hmm. you know, giving birth to my children. It was the best day of my life. It was was perfect day. That's awesome. So you didn't receive much harassment then? No, we we received no harassment at all. I think one or two times a man asked me for a flyer and I said this isn't for you and he was perfectly respectful there was a, a like a an obviously transgender male person asked me for a flyer and I said no and he just walked away which was great because we weren't there for males we were there for women and women in the crowd were happy to see us when we started chanting and we walked by like we got a lot of positive feedback we chanted a bunch of dykes, and then we would chant dykes, 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 and it was very warm reception. That's awesome. And similarly, me carrying the signs that I carried through the mark in Madison, they were well-received. So it's kind of interesting how on the ground, with a bunch of random strangers in this huge march, we're not receiving harassment, but yet online, we are. Obviously, there is in real life harassment. I recently experienced that during my visit to Olympia. So it's not that there isn't in real life harassment, but I'll say in that setting with a large group of, you know, 40 women marching as a recognizable group, we all wore, not all of us, but some of us had red sashes. 
I had a red wanted scarf tied to my shoulder. Like we were clearly a block um, mm-hmm. and uniting under a common banner with a common purpose, I think is incredibly powerful. And the more that we are willing to do that, we embolden others who might currently be afraid to speak. So I encourage women to be brave and to continue to be brave and to continue to rely on other women for help and support because we all need each other. We cannot do this alone. Anyone who thinks that it takes a single woman that will, quote, fix everything, that's ridiculous. (laughs) That's not going to happen. Kathy Brennan, is there anything else you'd like to say to our WLRN listeners who are largely radical feminists and lesbian feminists? I want to say that I'm grateful for you, Cecil. I'm grateful that you've created this platform. You do tremendous work on behalf of women, and I'm so thankful to know you. Thank you. Igualmente, senora.
Niall Pierce recently spoke with Ruth Greenberg, founder of Radfem Collective UK, about what it means to be a radical feminist, the nature of sisterhood, activism as self-care, and overcoming interior and exterior conflicts. Here is a portion of that interview. Uh, I've been a radical feminist for four years um, and been an activist most of that time. I was one of the founders of Radfem Collective and involved in sort of feminist activism locally where I live as well. But Radfem Collective is the thing I'm, I suppose, more known, known for. Okay, cool. What have been, in your experiences, the obstacles and challenges that you faced to effective radical feminism? feminist organizing and how do you think it's best to overcome those things? I think there's two things. There's kind of conflict whenever you're doing any activism like this, there's the kind of conflict that comes from out with the organization from radical feminists who don't agree with you. And then there's internal conflict and we've had different ways of managing those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I guess what, in your experience, what usually creates conflict within um, lesbian and radical feminist groups? I think I think there's a number of things. First of all, social media, the way it's set up, kind of invites people to either say things in a, a way that they wouldn't maybe say face-to-face or to be read as being more aggressive than they actually are being. You know, a, a lot of communication is non-verbal. All we've got... Yeah over social media is the written word and that's that's much much less useful when we're discussing sometimes quite controversial issues. Yeah. I think I think the other the other kind of issue is that, you know, lots lots of radical feminism is very sort of I mean when once you kind of understand it all, it maybe doesn't seem so, but for women who are new to it there's a lot of very challenging concepts in there and a lot of concepts that are very challenging for people's, for women's individual lives. You know, everything from sort of, you know, butch femme being a form of gender to the idea that, you know, women are oppressed very much on a day-to-day basis by their male partners. You know, a lot of those things are very difficult to hear for women when that's a kind of big part of your life, a big part of your identity and when women are talking about some ideas it's very very easy for women to feel or for anyone to feel really that that's a kind of personal attack I think as well when you're face to face if you're hitting in a really soft point with somebody and you can see them getting very angry or upset it's easy to think okay I'll just leave it here or you know I'll express it in a different way you don't get that feedback online you just get maybe somebody suddenly exploding yeah and you don't see that. And then you've also, of course, got all the mix of individual personalities. You know, you've got people coming online who are maybe having like, an incredibly shit time in their day-to-day life. And that their sort of anger from things that are happening spills out over in sensitive discussions. And occasionally you get women who, who just kind of think, you know, you know, not being sort of the kind of patriarchal idea of a sort of nice, good girl kind of thing means that they can be abusively yeah. swear to other women. You do get that as well. I find if somebody just explodes once and it's a one-off thing, then I'm kind of fine with it. I know everybody's got the sense to spot. I know that everybody could be having an absolutely horrendous time in real life or whatever. But when you see patterns of somebody behaving like that, 
I just block. Yeah. You know, life's too short. Yeah. In terms of the radical feminist movement and the impact it has, yes, I think it has an impact in two ways. I think, first of all, in terms of new women who are interested in radical feminism and maybe encounter that and go away and never come back. Yeah. So there's no doubt we lose women that way. Um, And we also perhaps lose women who might be potential activists. Yeah who kind of go away at a later stage because of that. But I really think it's partly, this doesn't help with women who are new to it, but for other women, I think it's about recognising the great things social media can do, but the limitations of it. And there's a point where you have to get offline and you have to meet, you know, other feminists face-to-face and work face-to-face. Yeah. You know, there really is. Um, if there's no radical feminists where you live, you know, it might be about trying to find other feminists you can work with face-to-face. Yeah. I'm curious, as far as your concern and your opinion, what, what does sisterhood mean to you? You know, how do we create, how do we organize around this concept that I think, at the end of the day, is different for some feminists out there? I, I guess I see sisterhood as putting women first, putting women before men. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like all women or you know even want to spend time with those women it means that you know you would you 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 put that you put women as a group first basically in terms of this you know we've we've got women who kind of come to radical feminism who see who perhaps agree with sort of some of the main radical feminist ideas that doesn't mean that they really understand all aspects of radical feminism And I think if you're racist, you don't really understand all aspects of radical feminism. Because radical feminism is for all women. It's recognising within that the specific issues that various women face as well, such as racism, um, as well as obviously sort of other issues. So I think if you come as a radical feminist online, you might get challenged about overt racism, but it's fairly easy to ignore the fact, or to to not realise maybe even, that you're kind of ignoring the whole fact of racism and white supremacy because it's not talked about enough. And that's something that I guess we all need to take responsibility for. You know, it isn't just about those who are being overtly racist, it's about all of us making sure that we are talking about those issues, Not, not in a kind of superficial tokenistic way, but because radical feminism is for all women, yeah. less we actually tackle those issues, then we're not for all women. Yeah. We've gone over conflict and sisterhood. So in terms of self-love, like my the other thing that I've been thinking the whole time that we've been speaking is how much emotional work it can actually be, like navigating, not only navigating some of the conflicts within the sisterhood, but the reality of actually dealing with these conflicts, whether they're internal or external from, you know, um, a collective or an organization or whatever. So that amount of emotional work can be really exhausting, you know, on top of everything else that all of us have to do uh, in our lives on a daily basis. So in terms of self-love, what is the best way for us to take care of ourselves? How do we maintain our solidarity in this 
concept of the sisterhood that we spoke of, how do we do that effectively without burning ourselves out? I think there's a number of things. I think, first of all, we all need others who we can kind of vent to or get support from, whether that's face-to-face or whether that's sort of online, you know, somebody at EPM, and you maybe sort of vent to each other by, you know, Anything from, you know, so-and-so has really annoyed me to, like, you know, I'm just feeling overwhelmed with this at the moment. We all need to vent. We all need that opportunity. I think as well, it's about the the women you kind of choose to work with. Yeah. And the actors that you choose to get involved in. And also about, you know, taking on what you think is realistic for you to take on. Yeah. You know, not, not everyone is going to be okay, you know, having other sort of feminists where you live saying you're a transphobic bigot. Not everyone's able to deal with that. You know, you've got to be realistic about what you can deal with, what you can do and what your services of support are. I was just going to say, I don't think I'm always that good at the self-care bit. (laughs) But I guess as well, it's if I'm honest, I don't think being... A radical feminist is something that you do to make yourself happy. Yeah. You know, Um, I would say in terms of activism, in terms of self-care, I'm quite upfront that, you know, I became an activist sort of very soon after sort of coming, you know, thinking, yes, I think I am a radical feminist. And that's partly, well, a large part, because I, I I know women do, but I don't personally understand how you can be truly aware of all the awful things happening to women and not be an activist. Absolutely, yeah. So for me, being an activist is actually part of Mm self-care. Yeah. Because I don't think I would be able to deal with the feelings of sort of anger or rage or depression. Yeah. Unless I felt I was doing my own bit towards challenging it. And I know it's a tiny drop in the ocean, but I've got to feel like I'm, you know, I am doing something to challenge it. So that's probably, if I'm honest, my biggest bit of self-care is doing some activism. Yeah. I think otherwise just sitting there with all that kind of knowledge and feelings would be overwhelming. Yeah. The other thing I would say sometimes is that when things are overwhelming, you know, sometimes switching off, you know, not reading articles in your news feed and social media or in the news about, you know, the latest awful thing that, that, you know, some man's done to a woman is sometimes what you need to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... We know all these things happen. Sometimes there's just too much. Yeah. And, you it's know, if okay. you're kind of yeah. getting to the stage where it's kind of burnout, you know, you're reading or hearing too much about awful examples of violence, then it's 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 time to switch off yeah. and look at, you know, either, either other things that make you happy or things where women are fighting back and doing good things and achieving good things. And there are examples out there that is it is happening. Yeah. Um. Sometimes just concentrating on all the negatives can be too much. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Can I just add something? Yeah. I just wanted to say about you know mentioned a few times about about being a radical feminist, and I think although I talk about 
being a radical feminist or becoming a radical feminist, I actually do think one of the important things is to kind of recognise is that it's, I know it does actually form maybe part of our identities, but that radical feminism is not about an identity. It is actually about a political theory and a political movement. And if you move away from the idea of it just being an identity, then the issue isn't about, and I think this is what causes a lot of online conflict, the issue isn't who is and who isn't a radical feminist. In a sense, that's irrelevant. It's about what political idea or what piece of activism is supportive of radical feminist theory. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't care whether sort of individuals, you know, identify as radical feminists or not. I don't care if individuals, I mean, this is very much about me, you know, I'm not speaking for Radfem Collective here. I don't care if um, individuals don't agree with everything under radical feminist theory, if their activism supports, you know, is, is supportive of radical feminist theory, then I would support their activism. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to say, just in terms of self-love, was the the last thing I guess I want to add is that Radfem Collective, and this is something that I really believe in strongly, there is, I guess, in every kind of political movement there is, you know, that there's sometimes inevitably, among some, a little bit of cliqueiness. Mm, yeah. And one of the things we've always been quite clear about with sort of Radfem Collective stuff is that any woman who's either, well in terms of the talks and conference, any woman can come, doesn't matter what your views are um, in terms of things like the weekend or stuff, we kind of say any any woman who is a radical feminist or who's close to it, and that includes women that you know, you know, it doesn't matter whether I personally am great friends with them or whether I personally don't like them, it really, you know, these things have to be genuinely open to anyone who wants to come along because I, I do want sort of every woman to kind of feel part of our movement. doesn't mean we're friends, but you're part of the movement and I think that's important. You know, we might disagree about, you know, particular aspects of radical feminism, but, you know, we're all still part of the radical feminist movement. That concludes our 10th edition on conflict, self-love, and sisterhood in the feminist movement. Tune in next month for our special edition on the 2017 Women's Marches. I'm Sekhmet Sheowl for WLRN. And I'm Niall Pierce. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy WLRN's monthly podcast and full-length interviews with feminists and other women, please consider donating at our website, wlrnmedia.wordpress.com. Donations are put toward our t-shirt fund and production costs. If you'd like to volunteer at WLRN, please check out the volunteer tab on our website and submit an application to wlrnewscontact at gmail.com. We're interested in editors, script writers, website designers, reporters, and more. I'm Sarah. Thanks for tuning in. Today's edition was produced by Jenna DeQuarto, our in-house sound guru. I'm Thistle Patterson, signing off for now. And I'm Jenna DeQuarto. Spread love through the Femisphere this month and share today's podcast. Thanks for listening. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? Show.